Thor Ackerlin, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit. This is Master Daniel Piscina. Get over here to Video Game Bullshit. Jeffrey Wittenhagen. I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys. Hey, hey. I'm big into uh, no death runs, high score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. Is this live? We're not live right now, are we? Oh, we're live, baby. Oh, God. We're always fucking live. <laughs> it's all good. Be yourself. Be crazy. That's what we want. <laughs> So first um, off, like, thank you so fucking much. <laughs> yeah, so why is Christian on this? Because he is one of the awesome people that actually wanted this crazy-ass Nintendo cartridge called VGBS Season 1. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, I actually thought that was kind of cool. This is The cart that you guys are making is definitely one of a kind. I can't think of anybody who's done anything quite like that. It's... It's not quite a game. It's like it's like experimental. You're one of those like weird one-off carts now. You're on your you're in your own territory. <laughs> well, we're we're definitely weird. We're definitely a one-off. <laughs> so there it is, though. It's cool to hear the outside perspective, though. So so like basically, F- Ferris, because we call you Christian or Ferris Bueller from Nintendo Age. Either way, basically, our idea was is like we want to fucking figure out how we can you know put our podcast out there for history permanently the rss feeds it only shows our last 50 uploads so you can't even watch or listen to season one on itunes right now because we have like almost a 75 to 100 episodes up because we have all our side quests and live stuff and all that craziness so like we were like well how the hell can we do it and you know our first idea was to go to the um the classic Mega Man 9, Mega Man 10 reproduction, where we put, like, a disc inside of a Nintendo cartridge. Yeah. And then I happened to be talking to Damien Yerrick, and he's like, well, I could fucking program. <laughs> and basically, we had this crazy idea, which also stemmed from the MilesCon 2016 Bad Bitch Edition competition cart. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I did it well. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it all on the first try too. Um, it's all feeding into hopefully me being able to do choose your own adventure retro gaming books based on homebrew games narratives that are also on a Nintendo cartridge. Hopefully, it happens in the future too. That's interesting. I don't know. If you, you, I don't think you told me about that idea, but I like it. Um, I've been spinning it for a while, ever since I saw Bunny's program that he wrote, and it was basically just like a black screen with white text. 
I've been thinking about it and I was going to do one for black box challenge, but our buddies with Henshin and Jin are fucking amazing. And that could be the first book that I do. I just don't have the time in the day to work on 27 projects at once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can only handle 25. I don't know. Do these people realize how much you do? God, you, it's okay. It's okay to like take a breather. Man. You make, you make everybody else look bad. You're always like a hundred. Yes. <laughs> hey man, it's freaking balls to the wall. We can only do this for so long. <laughs> All right, got that gazelle juice, the gazelle blood, man. Fucking right. Hey, man. I know. Well, it's like the only thing that's slowing me down now is that the um, the books are all printed and coming on a ship, clearing customs. So I'm waiting. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so basically, we figured like Christian backed at a level that you can contribute and come on the podcast. I was so, trying. To, I was trying to remember why I was on your show. You're like, "Hey, man, you ready to do the podcast?" And I was like, hilarious. "Why am I doing the podcast again? What are we talking about? We must be talking about like homebrews or something." And then it was like, "Oh no, I gave him a bunch of money." <laughs> <laughs> Can't help yourself, dude. That cart. You're doing something new. I mean, I don't know how other people feel about it, but it's really interesting. Like, dude, I'm seriously intrigued. I'm not just saying that because we know each other. It's it was new, and you know how I feel about new stuff. Is oh, what's this? Yeah, never been done before. Yeah, well, it's, it's like pioneering, you know. And then we made the the effort, and you know, got with Z from Bleep Pop Records, so we got a God, he's so good, dude. Yeah, so fucking good. And not only that, but really, we have a called a Pentley cover of each of his songs. I don't know if you know what Pentley is. I like the ding. But, uh, <laughs> he does. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> I think he likes it. Mikey likes it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the Pentley is Damien Yerk, who is what we call one of the Yodas of gaming programming. It is his musical engine that he wrote for his games. So he had to take Z's music and recompose it, which is ridiculous. Because it sounds too. it sounds like one-to-one almost. But there's some little nuances that I noticed that are, are slightly different on the cartridge when I hear it. Super cool, though. But yeah, so it's going to be a different dichotomy, too. But it's almost like we got the album, but then we got the text. And the cartridges are already ordered, man. <laughs> I don't think I realized that you guys were putting music to it. I honestly thought it was just going to be text-based, companion oh, no. piece. To go along, you know what I'm saying? It would have been, I would just kind of be looking at it while I'm listening to you guys, but the the music, that may, it, it may stand on its own. Yeah, because yeah, the Miles Con, um, the first one, Jeff's first brainchild, that one had like one song on it. So now we got to improve it, make more, you know, add a few more. Yeah, so we got a bunch of songs on this one. Every single section has its own theme, kind of. And there's multiple different sections. Like we break out the episodes, we break out the bullshit homework with all our grades. We have a spot for all the Kickstarter backers where all their names are in there, bios and all the people that we interviewed for season one, like Walter Day and guys like did, that. Hey, do you still have space or did you run out? Did you guys pack it all the way? That's just me oh, being dirty oh. and being curious. <laughs> oh, we 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 packed that motherfucker all the way. It was I was getting a bank overflow, uh, because we had so much tax, it was hilarious. And, Damien could expand it, but then the mapper changes. <laughs> when the mapper changes, it, it becomes expensive. 
Gotcha. That's cool, though. I I didn't realize that you were putting that much in it. Oh yeah, like we were we were thinking about like re-listening to all forty plus hours of season one. Which yeah, it's fucking how many hours, Kyle? Thirty nine and some change. So there we go. Like thirty nine and some change hours, and like going and breaking out each topic list on the card. But then we ran out of space, so we had to leave it with the general summaries like ex- that exist. But it's it's super rad. But we want to let you talk about like. What you do in the scene, yes. what you're what you're about. You have Guess all time. aspects, and I want Wait you to cover all of them, and then we'll go into the the actual subject of the episode. It's, it's going to be based on a response to feedback from last week's recording, which is a season four episode that is not up yet on on, on the iTunes. <laughs> Kyle, how many episodes do you have edited that are ready to upload? Oh, we got a few more. I think we got seven or eight in the queue. <laughs> That's two months worth of episodes right there. <laughs> you got to keep it like that. Those those weeks fly by like way too fast, man. Yeah, especially when you hit like a week where you definitely don't have time to do it. It's nice to have the build up ready to go. It gets tough, man. And I have training coming up where I'm going to be gone out of the loop for six weeks. And I don't know if I'll be able to record. I don't know if I'll have internet. So... Yeah, so Ferris, as far as your like history, like where did it all start? You know, like exactly. I go by Ferris Bueller on the internet, and I like Nintendo. And let's see, like 2008, I think was when I really got serious about collecting. And then 2010 is when I joined Nintendo Age, and that was just dude, everything, everything changed when I joined Nintendo Age. That was when I saw my first homebrew game. It's not my first repro. Like, it was just this whole... I mean, I love Nintendo. Don't get me wrong. I just wasn't involved in the community at all. And so I had no clue that any of this stuff was going on. And here I am, like, you know, building a sizable collection, just not interacting with anybody. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just odd. I was just off by myself. And then all of a sudden, I joined Nintendo Age, and it was just like, Holy shit! Like what new new games? I think new. I think that was it, dude. Like the yep. new games was. I mean, that was really what sucked me back in. Because I mean, I was having fun, but dude, new games blew my mind. Exactly, I was in the same boat, man. Just being able to like play something new each and every almost month now. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, it just it just snowballed. I mean, I I remember seeing. The first thing that like I saw was was uh, Bunny Boy's like translucent card. I think I saw a green or a red one, and I was just like, "What is this? What is this?" And like, <laughs> I think Assimilate was, had just come out. Like, I think I joined Nintendo Age, and then Assimilate came out like within the next month. And I I'm almost positive that was the first homebrew that I ever purchased was Assimilate. Wow! And I remember just thinking like how cool that was. Like, is it was CIB when he did it? And, like, so that was my first purchase. Like, just, like, what? I, you know, finding out about it and then buying it and having it show up. Like, that was the first one. And it was just the coolest thing ever. Have, have you met John White yet, by the way? I don't know. I don't think so. He's cool as shit, man. Oh, oh that's, that's a memorable experience. He's a fun, fun. We got to make, make that happen, Kyle. We got to have yeah, he's so fun. John. He is so the craziest fun. motherfucker I've ever met. <laughs> like, what, what, awesome. part, hey, what part of the country is he in? He's in uh, Indianapolis. Yeah, I don't think I've met him. He lives right by Memblers. Yeah, right by like Duke right Togo. Close. 
They're oh, all man. in that same area. We always hang out with members at MGC. He's a yeah. he's our fucking boy right there. But yeah, John John White's a a, a crazy dude. He's oh, fucking he's so awesome. Fun. I missed him this but, year. So sure. so what's interesting is like I joined Nintendo Age a couple years before you, and it was before Battle Kid was released. So it was a different Wild West on Nintendo Age back then. And now uh, there's not many people are going to do this, but I am one of those guys. Cause I got really into it. I mean, you know, dude, you know how much research I did on all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So you, you I, do as much, if not more, than I have, which is insanity. So I, I ended up trolling those archives pretty hard at Nintendo Age, and so I actually understand what you're talking about. It really was. I wish I'd been there. Um, that's part of the it reason. Was a tiny I, community. Yeah, it was. It was new. There was a lot of support. I mean. I was there for like a month and then Bunny talked some shit to me or something. And then I kind of disappeared for a year <laughs> until Battle Kid brought me back. Dude, Nintendo age, man. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to get into that, that group. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I could, I think that I'm there, but they are tight knit. <laughs> so what do you think about it now? All these years later, what's your view on it? Oh, Nintendo age has changed. Has it not Ferris? Has it fucking not? No, dude, it's totally changed. This I think that it's actually changed a couple times. And in, in uh-huh. the time that Nintendo Age has been around, I think there are definitely phases. And you can maybe gauge it by the people that were really active and what times they were really active. Because there's definitely oh, like group but like people people say there's clicks. And there are, but not like, like the way know. that like people think they're clicks. Like in my mind, when click, I would think like the there's the first wave. Like there's definitely the guys that were there in the beginning. Pioneers, and and things happen, man. Uh, you know, to stay dedicated to something like Nintendo Age, which is just a forum for Nintendo collectors Basically. for as for as long as it's been around. Like that's a tall order, man. People, you know, life changes. Like they have kids, people grow up, things happen. So there's definitely waves, which creates groups. And I I honestly feel like we're on probably group four or five right now of people coming and going. Oh, definitely. And I've also noticed that um, the homebrew scene in general has completely changed where you had a bunch of quote unquote whales that were there buying up and spending a lot of money on auction and bringing a lot of interest too. And then with the increase of how many are coming out and those whales subsequently kind of losing interest around the same time, you see like a, a huge shift in homebrew support. It's kind of moved over to crowdfunding. Yeah. That, sorry. That's, that's like actually a serious comment. And I'm like, I'm trying to think about it and take it in. <laughs> that's what we do, brother. That's what we do, take man. time, man. We, we dig fucking deep. Don't worry. Yeah, and we will. Yeah, we start easy, but we dig fucking deep. <laughs> yeah, the the landscape has definitely changed. hundred um, percent. That's what I was kind of going to say earlier, which is like those early days, man. They were selling out two hundred and fifty copies easy, and I would say it's probably a tall order to get somebody to do that right now. And when I say two hundred fifty copies, I'm talking about the early stuff like uh, Happy Camper, where you know. When those guys were finding unreleased games for the first time, you know, that was like a big deal. Like, this is a game that never got released. And you know what? We're going to put it out. We're going to do CIB and we're only going to make 250 copies. Dude, they yeah. sold 250 copies 
pretty easy. And like, dude, I can't think of anybody having the balls to try and do a run of 250. Now you'd be sitting for a while. People do. And well, what happened and it happened about 2015 of, I was seeing an influx of people being able to affordably put out games even more so. And they're putting every single ROM homebrew ROM that came out, whether it's a full game or not on a cartridge. Dude, you know what? That's actually a really good point. I don't know if I I thought about that, but yeah. the the ease and accessibility of the pieces to make the uh-huh. new things. You're right. I don't. That's interesting, man. I like. There's a lot of stuff to trust me because you know I think about this stuff, but I don't know if I really got into because I've talked about the introduction of new distributors, you know, cause there was a time where bunny boy retro zone, retro USB, like was it, that was it. Uh-huh. And then you had infinite NES lights come around. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I had this cart when you stopped by my place, but I have an armed for battle cart. That's handwritten label on a retro USB board in a translucent green shell nice and i i got that from um Kahan? did i go oh my god no kevbot i got that from kevbot and oh, okay. dude i wanted that one so bad and the reason i wanted it was because i i thought that cart was really significant because it was it's the first instance because i you know frank frank you know what happened what happened was frank Wanted to show it off at PRGE 2013. Yep. I think that was, yeah, because I was there that year. I remember that. I think the AVS prototype was there. They were doing the HD Nintendo for like the first time. And so okay. I think I think Frank wanted to have his, his uh, game displayed. And Bunny Boy, and this is all in a thread too. I mean, you go back and look at the thread, you can see all this stuff. Bunny Boy hit him up and was like, well, yeah, we could, you know, do a ROM and like a power pack or something. But wouldn't it be cool to have it on a cart? And so, <laughs> as I understood it, Frank was in discussions with having Bunny do the distribution. He was. And then Infinite NES Lives came along. And now I don't know any, like, the real details of any of that stuff, like what happened. But ultimately, know we, we know. The innuendo of the story. <laughs> well, but, yeah, I mean, but we know that Frank ended up going with Infinite NES Lives. So, yeah he found out that there was another distributor out there. And to me, like that was like really huge. I mean, that's why I love that cart because here you have somebody who is a developer making a homebrew game, which is awesome. By the way, I love arm for battle. God, that game's so good. It's excellent. It is well made to the fucking core. You did. Oh my God. That game's so good. But, and then, you know, him thinking like, okay, well I'm going to go with this guy. And then like all of a sudden this option popped up and like that moment in aftermarket history to me is gigantic. You have a maker who now has a choice and how he's going to distribute. And I'm not knocking either one of them. Like, you know, I like, I love everybody. I love everybody making stuff. Exactly. But the fact the fact that he had a choice though, that's so huge. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it just had to do with the payout was likely better with Infinite NAS Lives. And Bunny had a monopoly. Now all of a sudden he has to compete with other people and yep. people are jumping ship. I mean, that's likely what happened there. 
<laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's it's it's that's capitalism. Yeah. You got now. Okay. You now you have you have competition. You've got competition now. And now that you've got competition. Yeah. People are going to start need to. Oh well, somebody else is giving me a better deal. Competition yep. only and makes everybody better. Actually. To make the story great is that we we roomed with Frank last year at Noah's Gaming Classic. <laughs> Frank fucking rules. Frank's awesome. Chill, man. Super cool. Yeah, I, I really like, like Frank. Two or three years really in a like row, him, man. Yeah, for real though. Frank's awesome. The community is small and tight, and that's the other aspect is, is that you get to literally, you know, interact with all these creators, which is amazing. We go out. That's the first thing you can tell people is go to these conventions and stuff because that's all we're really doing. And then we just go up and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I know who you are. I buy your stuff. And then you start talking to them. That's the only reason I know all these people. I just go introduce myself. Dude, I love your work. How's it going? Time at uh, Optimum, (laughs) who does Rolly and did uh, Castlevania. Was it Baleful Sonata and a bunch of badass hacks and homebrews. Like he uh, was at Portland last year. Chill dude. <laughs> so I, I missed out. I don't know if I met him, but I, a dude, I, he worked a lot on that. Didn't he? Didn't it take him a long time to come out with that? Baleful oh, years. Yeah, it was oh, a few yeah. years. He worked two or three years. At least it was, it's fucking masterpiece. I actually beat it last year or the year before. Yeah. Total masterpiece. And, and I found out that he worked on Course of Mysteries with another guy and the other guy now out of Pittsburgh works with Mega Cat Studios, who used to be Apid Evolution, and he's working on Epicade, which is like a Castlevania type game. Interesting. And, I haven't yeah. heard about that game. Oh, I've heard of a lot of them. Um, I got two prototypes at uh, too many games. One's called Little Medusa. The other one's called Justice Duel, which I wasn't even tracking. It's not even in my book. And I got prototype parts of them that were like Mega Cat. Because you know Mega Cat was at... Um, they're always hush hush about shit. Like yeah, they were. We got to talk to them quite a bit at Magfest this year. Yep. Yes, we did. And he had a few games there. He told me about Little Medusa, but wouldn't send me any info on it. And basically, it's like a Kickle Cubicle clone, which is awesome. Justice Duel is like Joust, but with like projectiles and stuff too. Like yeah, you can you can oh. shoot. You get like what special weapons and stuff like that. Exactly. It's it's awesome. And in your plane as like historical presidents, which is funny, robotic, robotic, robotic presidents, <laughs> and uh, for it's four player, right? It takes it makes use of the four score. You can do four players at the same it, time. It does, yeah. Oh, there we go. That's manic insanity. Gotta love it. I I may or may not know all this because I was asked to make a post on the front page of NA tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, the other one that he just sent me a photo of. Creepy Brawlers. Have you heard of Creepy Brawlers? No, I got nothing, man. That's a new me one neither. for me. Me neither. Hey, now, it, the, uh, Mega Cat, did you, you know, they did that expedition game, right? The card yeah. game based yeah. thing. So I had to message them because they randomly, they sent me a new cart. And I was like, wait a minute, why do I have a, why did I get another cart of this? So I had to ask them, hey, what's going on? So they put it up for sale a couple months ago, but they only let, I guess, one or two get out. And, of course, I was one of those two people who bought one immediately. Yeah. Uh, I guess there was – it was like a watered-down version of the app, the original cart. Yeah. So it sounds like they pulled it. I didn't even realize they pulled it because I bought mine. Once I buy mine, like, I'm done. I've already moved on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So they pulled it, which I didn't realize, and uh, they redid it. And then they sent out another cart. And I asked him, like, wait a minute, did you just send it to me? Because you, you know that I have control of the front page. And he was like, no, dude, anybody who bought one, we sent out a new cart to, which I thought was pretty cool. It wasn't that many, but the fact that they did it, like, I didn't know. I just got another cart in the mail all of a sudden. Wow. They updated it. And and this, this one I played. I didn't understand what was going on. No offense. You know, I buy stuff because I know it's coming out and it's cool, but I finally had a chance to check it and it's uh, it's Dungeons and Dragons, like on a Nintendo card. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. I liked it. The new one, the new one worked really good. It's got like two quests or something on it. Because he's the last person for the best of homebrew box set to send me the games. And he's sending me Expedition with that. I'm buying it separately. But they're always working on crazy shit. And- I'm trying to get him to divulge, but am I like I have my NES Oddities book that's published now, but there's now two games from them, Justice Duel and then this new creepy brawlers, whatever it is, that aren't in it. But I love that there's gonna be constantly games that come out. Yeah, and that's true, man. It does seem like just just when I think I've got the I've got it on lockdown and I know what's happening, there'll be somebody who shows up and they've got like some new project and they put a new spin on something that I never would have thought of doing. Yep. It's cool, man. I'm like uh, the power pad game, dude. I mean, just the stuff that people are, are you know, super super Russian roulette. I mean, dude, the way that people are starting to like use uh-huh. the systems and the accessories yeah. in, in ways that they didn't think of. Back cornhole. In the- yeah, we were talking about that at the panel at MGC this year. Yeah, the, they got the cornhole. It's exactly like what you were saying with what we're doing too. Same deal. You can do choose your own adventure. That's what the Miles Con is. So you can do a whole choose your own adventure like book, you know, translated to game. It's whatever in your head. It's what it's whatever creativity you can come up with. That's the beauty of it. Like it's just waiting to be like found, you know, treasures. That's why we love it, man. So I think um, we can actually transfer our knowledge now into the controversy with video game reproductions topic. Yeah, yeah. what do you guys want to talk about that? What's the, what's the let's, controversy? Let's do it. Um, so last week, we were talking about our TurboGrafx-16 and PC Engine memories. And I mentioned the PCE Works, the PC Engine memories guy who does the reproductions. The picture that I have shown for the YouTube side is Castlevania Dracula X. The Dracula X, they use the PSP English remake audio to put it on a disc. So there they're stealing from Konami with the audio and making the reproduction. And the guy from PCE Works took that and then stole it. And made the reproductions. Okay, no, wait, wait, wait. All right, hold on. So let me make sure I understand this correctly. So when you exactly. say when you say dub, you're talking about uh, like text, right? Not voice. No, no, no. It's a PC Engine Super CD ROM. So they literally took and put new recorded audio. What, dude? That's like now you're getting into a whole fucking another ball yeah. of wax. That that's different. Like, look, I get that there's people out there hacking and doing fan translations of like old Nintendo games. That's one thing. Yep. But to use somebody's voice, like, look, there's a reason that Halo says we don't mind what red and blue is doing because they're not using any of the music. The minute you use any of the sounds, Microsoft gets really pissed off. It's a different world. Jesus Christ. 
Are you fucking kidding? Like, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this thing, but oh, are, you fuck- are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, dude. Video game right bullshit. What do you think, like, man? Keep it fucking coming. Woo! Dude, like, because <laughs> now the copyright issues you're dealing with, like, oh my God, dude. Like, that's the, you're using somebody's likeness at that point. It, every single one of those people that didn't sign off for that guy to make a reap, each one of them, I think, could sue him. Yes. Individually. Yes. Dear, no, man. Like, look, it's one thing to take, like, a text file, but to use audio of, oh, my God, dude, that is a giant. I don't even, I can't even, how did I not hear about that? And the thing is, is that he also does reproductions of rare Turbo Graphics and PC Engine CD games and puts them all in a crazy thing. And he's gotten a lot of coverage because he sent his stuff out to YouTubers and gotten publicity and gotten on websites and he's made a lucrative business out of it. Um, does he, does he, does he, does he charge a lot? Oh they, yeah. They're yeah. expensive. Over $120 for a four game box set. At, wait, what does the box set look like? Is it nice? Is it like rose colored gaming nice? Or is it just like a yeah. crappy box set? No, it's, it's really nice. Like the Dracula X that I have showing on the audio on the video it's like this big, expansive, like, the discs are actually pressed. The, they come with, like, these pressed coins. Uh, the Castlevania one had, like, a Dracula-style parchment to go over the case. The box sets themselves go in a big sleeve. All four games go in a sleeve together. Um, I got a Caravan one from him, like, a while ago. And I didn't know about any of the crazy uh, edit stealing or any of that. I thought that he coordinated with all of those and i didn't even know he did any of the extensive ones like the audio based one uh, yeah, all right all right so here here's my here's my take on it because you know yeah. that I'm a, I'm a film guy that's why i get yes. scared when you yeah. tell me that that's all i hear is like dear lord do you know how many releases that guy didn't get so that's my take on it like that's all i hear is the liability for every release that that guy didn't get Dude, like that's just mind-boggling to me. I mean, I'm making a, a a commercial for the Let's Play Gaming Expo, and I wanted to use some music. You know, it's 30 seconds, but I made sure that I paid and got releases from everybody. One of those people would include Z. Oh yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's just a 30 second commercial that's only probably going to be seen on streaming. I still made sure that I got permission to use that. Like, you know, oh my god, dude, I. That's a nightmare. That's a that's a legal nightmare. Exactly. And so we see this, right? How is that? Now, this is devil's advocate. How is that different than someone taking a fan translation and putting that on a cartridge, a Nintendo fan translation? Right, so the, the difference to me, like why I am getting so... <laughs> <laughs> I got I got Ferris fun. Yeah, you know, you know, like, yeah, dude. It's going great. So I mean the reason that you got me that is because you're using like in one with one instance, like so the just a Nintendo game that somebody translated. It, usually those teams aren't very big. It's usually like one or two guys that are just translating text from Japanese to English. Like now I'm not and they'll do some graphical editing on the title screen. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But it like that's kind of minimal, and you're already messing with something else. But it's just like it's just text based. Once you start including like 
actual likenesses and you uh-huh. don't have releases for any of those likenesses, like that's a whole nother thing. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. So I guess that's the difference between what I'm doing and what that guy's doing. Like, all right. So this guy who's making all this stuff and is making repros that includes, it's just, Oh my God, dude, I can't, like you blew my mind by telling me this. I don't know how I didn't know about this. <laughs> it's, Cause it's totally different. So like those CD based games, now you can actually start using real, real voice actors and things yeah. like that. So if these people all recorded their voices, he's now using their likenesses. It, I mean, that's a release. You have to get a release for that, whether or not it was their image or their voice you're using. Like to me, the guys who hack the Nintendo game, that's work. Like, okay, so those guys getting pissed off if somebody makes a repro of it and doesn't pay them, they're not getting paid for their work. Yeah. But in the instance like, like the of hack the, of Zelda Outlands or Mario yeah. 3 Mix where they don't pay the hack. Yeah, yeah. So really what those guys are losing out on is their time. Like I spent X amount of hours making this hack that everybody loves. Why am I not being compensated for it, even though I didn't own the content in the first place? That would be the main difference between somebody copying a hack and copying a a homebrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you're that's a different story because Savak actually programmed that. That's his brainchild. Yeah, and and the other thing is too, because I, I don't know if you remember um, the guy who made a Famicom version of Battle Kid and then sold it on eBay like a year or two ago. Do you remember that? I'm the guy who bought it on eBay, so I can. Oh talk my about god! I'm okay, who, I'm the one who divulged it on Nintendo Age. <laughs> yeah, so like that was a fun conversation because here you have somebody who's still active in the community. You know, and they just made that game and that game still for sale. So like that was a really interesting like instance where people chimed in and was like, no, not cool. Like no nope. matter what, it's not cool because he's still around and trying to make money off that. But those old Castlevania games, you know, that's kind of I think where people give the lead away, which is like, dude, Nintendo is not making Nintendo games anymore. What do they really care if somebody's going to hack a better version of Castlevania, you know? Well, exactly. But with what you just described... Which is the PC engine, the technology is advanced enough. Yeah, now you're getting into this thing where, like, not only did the people spend their time, now you're using their likenesses. And so that's where, like, the filmmaker in me chimes in and is just like, what? Like, no, dude, (laughs) that's like... I mean, because now it's not just... Oh, and this is what I was saying. So, like, the reason I would really care, and I always get, you know, my stuff legit and signed off and people sign my form. Here, give me your release. Like, I do that because the projects I work on, I don't want somebody to be able to show up with a simple cease and desist and get rid of it. But this dude over in Europe, he may not give a shit, man. That's the difference. Like, what does he give a crap if uh, a bunch of people show up and say, hey, man, you're using my voice, cease and desist, like, it's not his brainchild, so it's probably real easy for him to just shelf it right then. Yeah, exactly. Which is sad because, dude, what you just described, and I'm sorry uh, for people who don't know me, like I really only kind of care about Nintendo, and then after that I lose interest real quick. So I don't know yeah. about what you're describing, but like the overall like scope of that project sounds like it wasn't just two or three guys hacking a Nintendo game. That sounds like that was a real team that put a lot of work into it. 
Absolutely. Even if it was like a hack of a of like a game or something like it's a translation. If it was just a translation, like that's. mm, But once you start getting that many people involved, and the fact that it includes a real voice, like oh man, that's that's different. Now you're getting in my territory, and like that's a no no, dude. That's like that's using an actor without getting the actor's permission. Well, say that the PCE works guy decided to get releases and got permission, then that guy is taking all the risk by reproducing a game that he doesn't have the license to, but now has all of these, you know, he paid for the the likenesses. And now he takes all the risk because he still have the company that really, that owns the license of the game that could give him a season assist. Yeah. The whole situation is no, no. I mean, it's a lose, lose situation ultimately, but the silver lining, from what I can tell, is that apparently he's doing it really nice, according to you. And God bless him for at least doing a good job. And I'm just sending out CD-ROMs that the guy wrote in Sharpie on the top of it, the name of the game. Yeah, no. He's definitely doing it right. That's the the one saving grace. Now, is anybody like upset about this? Like, Did anybody complain, or is it just you guys were talking about it just for fun? Oh, yeah, oh no! No, so it said you know. Well, there's a guy making awesome, high quality reproductions. There's some people that are a little bit mad about it in the community, saying it's devaluing the the rare games that he's reproducing. And then uh, Paul Weller was the one who contacted me and said, "Hey, no, here's the story why we're actually mad. It's because he's stealing, you know, the audio." Do, do you, does he give credit? Does he give credit to them at all, or does it just he's you know making some dollars? I don't, I don't think I don't think he gave that. credit. And that's and you know not to I'm I don't know the whole situation, but to kind of relate it to something else, I know that um, TecmoBowlers.com, the guys who hack Tecmo Super Bowl every year. Yeah, every year, yeah. Yeah, every year. You know, they those there's a group of guys that they really love Tecmo Super Bowl. That's what they're into, and they hack the game with uh with the teams. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, each season they hack the new players. Yeah. So with Time Walk, talking about Time Walk games back in the day, they've already come and gone. I know, yeah. I know cuz you know, I'm friends with Dave. Uh Tecmo Madison's coming down to let's play this year. We're going to do a qualifying tournament and then we're going to send somebody up to Madison, Wisconsin. But I've been friends with Dave for like a while, and that's how I got the hookup for Let's Play. We're excited to have him down here. Anyways, uh, that was my commercial real quick. All right, so talking to Dave, I found out that Time Walk in 2012 and 2013, they offered a CIB version of Tecmo Super Bowl 2012 and 2013, and it was the hack version that TecmoBowlers.com worked on. And when I say techmobowlers.com, what I really mean is uh, the forum. So there's guy, there's another forum for Techmo yeah. Super Bowl. There's a group of guys. That's what they're into. That's what those guys do is, you know, every year they put out a new one. So Time Walk started selling that CIB. And I know that because I talked to Dave, Dave told me this. He said that he reached out to him and said, I see that you guys are um, putting out a copy of TSB 2012. Could you do me a favor and give us credit? And from from what I understand, Time Walk said no. They didn't huh. think they needed to do that. Now, this is like Time Walk downloading the ROM right. from techmobowlers.com and then making the yeah. game. And then techmobowlers.com, not even asking for money 
from what I understood, Dave said that he just asked to have techmobullers.com included as, you know, like, hey, this this is where it came from. Like, that's what we do. That's what we love. And uh, Time Walk said no. And so it was my understanding that that was part of the reason that techmobullers.com started putting out their own cart each year was really? just to just to counteract it because they were running into the same issue that you guys are discussing, which is like, not that they were doing it for money or anything. That's not even what they asked for. They just said, Hey, can you give us credit? Cause we're the guy you're using our hack. We just put that like, Hey, we love Tecmo Super Bowl so much that we did that. They said, no, they straight up said, no, we are not going to do that. But then that kind of spurred them getting together and, and doing their own card each year. See, and I actually, uh, hung out with time walk back in 2012 at nintendo h camp out and they were cool dudes back then but i think just as time evolved they got overwhelmed with orders now now i don't know time walk i don't know spencer i can't i can't say anything either way Um, i just i just know what i heard from dave which is dave asking hey can you put our name on there and then time walk saying no we're no we're not going to underbelly of reproductions like you when you find out the the little stories it's like man yeah but then now it, but but then you've got the good stories like uh i don't know if you have any do you know advanced pillow do you have any of his metroid games for super which ones has he done dude he's like he does one of seven he, he doesn't do very many he was the guy who did um he did Ares. You know what I'm talking about? Ares. Hmm. That's he didn't do that many, man. Um, so you got there's this guy, his name's Advanced Pillow, and he he's a graphic designer and he loves Super Metroid. And so he has taken the time over the past uh probably four or five years to do CIB releases of Super Metroid hacks that he loves. But he doesn't just like do it. Like, I mean, these are like the best releases I've probably ever seen. And of course, it's got like the usual suspects involved. Like, I know Uncle Tusk has helped do uh, the boxes and stuff like that. But when I say these are like the ultimate releases, I mean, the advanced pillow took the time to like 
dude, these things are top notch. And then like the little extras that he included, they're just, they're amazing. Super Nintendo reproductions. Oh my God. They're amazing. But what what I'm saying is that this dude, when he's doing this stuff, takes the time to reach out to the guys who did the hack and make sure that they're cool with it. And, and, you know, I mean, as cool as they can be, like, still, it's somebody else's, like, IP. But he takes the time to reach out to the guys that did the hack and say, hey, uh, look, I want to do this. Is it cool if I do this? And gets permission. And, I mean, like, there's – it's so dumb that God, I mean, when you think about what we're talking about, it, it's dumb because we're talking about taking somebody else's property, changing it, and then re-releasing it. And then discussing whether or not there's a right way or a wrong way to do it. And unfortunately, there is. There is. I think there is. There is. And back when I did my Mother 3 release, I actually contacted Tomato Team and made sure they were okay with me doing a small release and seeing if they wanted one. And they said it was fine. And they did not want one because there was something that they just said they would never buy a physical copy of their work. Yeah, or I in you know my little experience with it was um, the Miss Toggles. He did that uh, the boneless cart, the Game Boy cart yeah. that just like puts out weird tones. And that God, that was real early on for me too. And I reached out to him and asked him if I could make a label for it. You, but you see what I'm saying? Like I could have just made a label for it. For people who don't know, this is a, a Game Boy cart that came with no label and just outputs random audio tones very <laughs> very experimental uh and the guy who made it i think is over in he's over in europe i can't remember which country but he had a back stock and i bought the back stock and i was selling his extra games just trying to get him out there because it was a cool aftermarket game and he only made 50 of them and then i said hey can i make a label because uh, you didn't make one and i think his intention was not to make one but he was cool. You know, I asked him and he was cool with it. And so like, I made that label, but you see, there's a difference. Like I could have just done it, but I didn't like, I asked the guy. Yeah. I think like having the, cause it is a niche community, whether it be NES or PC engine CD, they, you know, they're all niche niche. And like, it's just giving people the courtesy of saying, Hey, I know you've done something special. Is it cool if we do this with it? I wonder if it's part lazy or or if it might be part just somebody thinking that they're never going to be able to track down who actually did it. That's it. It's enforcement or the lack thereof. And when it comes to that, you're just bound to your ethical morals. And that's it. If, if, you're, if you don't give a fuck, who's going to stop you? That's the problem. Dude, I mean, if you go back and... I get that nobody watches the videos that I make there. I don't promote them. I'm not trying to be a YouTube star. I don't even have videos on YouTube. I'm on Vimeo only. But if you, <laughs> but if you go look at my, I know dude, I'm so hipster. God, I, my not wanting to be famous is so big, but uh, even with those videos that I know that like nobody really sees, I reach out to every single person that is involved and I make sure that I have their permission. Every single song I have ever used in any of my videos where I go to a convention and hang out, I have gotten permission from everybody to use anything that I've ever used. Did I use your logo? I got permission for it. Did I use your music? I got permission for it. And and I'm talking about a video that I know has like a thousand views and I still do that because that's what I'm going to do. 
you're a good yep. person. You have sound moral values, but there's people out there that don't don't give a fuck. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there that are greedy, and in their mind, I gotta take care of my own family and put food on my family's plate. So you know what? I, I'm I'm gonna do what the fuck I gotta do. So everyone is justified in their own actions. That's the other funny thing. Just about everything and everybody. So that's the problem too. Until there's enforcement, they're just gonna run rampant. You know. So randomly, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm also a filmmaker and currently shooting Mother to Earth, a documentary about the the what is I forgot the localization of the Mother. original NES Mother. Yeah. yeah. The NES version of Earthbound, basically. Um, now, the reason I was bringing that up is because one of the guys on the team is uh, a private detective. Like, no shit. He is a, he's a brother Seamus. He is nice. legitimately a private dick. I love it. And um, the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that we've talked about a lot, uh, or at least we keep touching on when we're out shooting, is the reproductions of Mother and Mother 3. And we, we touched on it, you know, especially with, like, the only version of Earthbound being out there for the NES is, like, a prototype. So we're already kind of dealing with, like, a legality of, like, should those prototypes even be out there? Uh-huh. It's like, do those people own them? Or does Nintendo still, you know, whatever. There's a lot to deal with. But then you've got, yeah, then you got the repros too. And so that was something we were already talking about. And then the private detective part of our team, Evan Butler, actually had a conversation. I can't remember why or where he had this conversation. It was probably for like another case that he was working on. <laughs> but he got to talking with with an FBI agent. And in the course of the discussion with the FBI agent, he brought up reproduction video games. And the FBI agent said, oh, yeah, we're aware. Which means it's, I mean, it's becoming a big enough market. It's becoming a big enough problem that the government's starting to take notice. Now they haven't done anything yet that we really know of, but just, yeah, just hearing secondhand from Evan that that guy straight up said, Oh no, we know about that shit. Like, dude, that's huge to me. Like now, now the real question is how long does it take until people start enforcing it? Are they going to enforce it? You know, information too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think they're going to enforce it until, some lawyer decides to press charges, kind of like why Time Walk Games is not around anymore. I got um, to say, the, the, the most that we've seen so far, and by seen, I mean what I think we've seen, because I don't know that anybody has come out and confirmed what we think has happened, which is that Nintendo has been going around giving cease and desist orders to distributors online. We, I've heard Nintendo... Like NOA, Nintendo of America sending cease and desist orders to companies and Nintendo possibly, yeah. yeah, the Shadowhawk thing, from what I can understand, you can Google that case. It's public record. You can yeah. Google. That was the uh, that was the comic book uh, IP holder, right? The guy who created. It, it, the yes, 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 oh, yes. So from what I understood, reading through the case online. I don't think that Rose Colored Gaming got in trouble because of the IP for the video game. I think no. that the reason they got busted was did we already have this conversation, Jeff? It was because of the artwork that they used on the box. Pretty sure we had the conversation before. 
if I read that case correctly, the reason the, the, the comic book creator came after him was because they used frames, actual frames of the comic book to create the artwork for the box. And I think that was what he was upset with. Not that they used the IP for the game. I think that he was upset that they used actual comic book art without getting his permission to use the art. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, and that's where it gets crazy. I found out why um, certain books were getting pulled on Kickstarter recently by Nintendo. And it's not because of Nintendo, by the way. <laughs> it's because certain people that are creating the books aren't getting permission to pull images from websites, and those website owners are contacting Nintendo and letting them know Oh man, yeah, that's that's actually becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Um, yeah, people are getting really like, used to just grabbing stuff off the internet, but it's like, no, and again, dude, a yeah. lot of the stuff that I do, I'll go into my game room and I'll take a picture. Yeah, I, I either take a picture or like with my the Famicom section of the oddities, I went to Heidi, who who's the website that has all the high quality uh, Famicom boxes, and I asked her if it was okay, and she said if I gave her credit in the back. So if I'm using imagery, I email or message or try to get a hold of the creators. And if they're not cool with it, the image gets replaced. Yeah, man, there you go. And that's the right way to do things. Those other people, all right, I'll give that to you. Like, yeah, dude, those other people, get it together, man. Why We're fucking spending our time doing shit correctly. Why can't you? Yeah, I mean, I went to the websites where they have the um, – all the Nintendo boxes in a like a one file to download, and I emailed them. And they're like, "Oh yeah, that's cool to use that stuff. No problem." You know what? And that's cool of them too. Like that was and, nice. Oh, I hundred percent appreciate it. Yeah, they didn't ask for even a shout out, which I I definitely give as many people shout outs as I can. But it's one of those things where I took the time, whereas I know other uh, people creating content don't do that. Dude, that's interesting that you said that too. I don't know if I ever would have guessed that that was why some of those projects got shut down. That's really interesting. Yeah, dude, no, it's so small too. Like, think work. about think about how small that is too. If they just like done their own work, and then the project wouldn't gotten shut down. That goes back to what I'm saying about that guy printing off the games with everybody's voices. Any one of those people's voices that he used could say something, and like that's it. He's done. That's what needs to happen more and more. But but the key is is that. The guys with the imagery, like the uh, Super Nintendo Visual Compendium guys, that, or the, actually, I think it was the NES Compendium, the Nintendo Comp- Visual Compendium that got pulled. They had to put unofficial on it. They basically just brought it to the Big Beast's attention, which was Nintendo. And then they said, oh, yeah, they're using the Nintendo seal of approval and just changing some words, and it could be, you know, misconstrued. So they had to change a few things. And their whole thing was, I, I think we talked about this before, uh, Christian, was that they was primarily an art book and had no um, analysis or quantification of text within the book, which they had to add in post. Oh, they did. So they did add it because I do remember us talking yep. about that. Yep, they did. Yeah, Because I told you, I was like, I don't know how the hell they're getting away with doing what they're doing because it was just straight <laughs> screenshots. And I was like, dude, somebody owns that artwork, man. Like, I mean, that was created. It's one thing to discuss it. That would make it fair use, uh-huh. but to just like show the image, I was like, mm, "I, dude, we we were talking about that while that guy's Kickstarter was going on." And I remember when it got, it pulled. got pulled. It got pulled, yeah. 
And what was hilarious is everybody that was the backers, because my Super Nintendo one was going, because this was last year during your convention, because I launched at your convention last year. Yep. Um, and basically, like, they were all my backers were worried, like, oh, you're going to get pulled. I'm like, no, I'm within fair use. I did my research. I asked my permissions. I <laughs> like, I watched my P's and Q's. Like, I, I'll be fine. The only, but the thing is, even within fair use, Nintendo could still make my life difficult if they wanted to. Yeah, if they wanted to. That's true, man. If they wanted to, they could. And they would quote-unquote lose, but do I have the finances to go up against them? That's <laughs> the other thing. Yeah. Even um, affording a lawyer is three to $500 an hour. SNK will do it because the, I, the copyright owners are, are just gun, you know, trigger-happy when it comes to that stuff. So if I ever do a Neo Geo book, I'm likely going to have to get a partnership with SNK to get that sucker out. So there's like a 1% chance that anyone's going to file like a lawsuit unless it's a big company. Yeah, or somebody gets a big up their ass and they're pissed off that you didn't ask for permission. Like this this game. The thing is, though, is I think they, the game was still out. The guy hadn't even really gotten in trouble. They're just mad. It's a do-it-yourself society. So they're not corporations. They're not big companies. So yeah, that's that's going to be an issue. That's yeah, just it. It's always going to be an issue. Fucking crazy, though, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. Comes down to morals, and everyone's different, you know? Yeah, you gotta... It's weird thinking... Because, like I said, I went back in the archives. There was a time where there, there was one person making a mold of the shell for the Nintendo games. And Mamblers. that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old Mamblers. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's working on... So, so, here's a crazy thing that you'll dig. Memblers is looking into the possibility of getting our entire season one on one cartridge playable, audio playable, all 40 hours. I mean, I don't know how you would do it, but if anybody's going to do it, you know it's going to be that guy. He said it's easy. <laughs> That's the best part. Like He's like, oh, yeah, I already know how to do it. He's like, I just got to find the, the hardware that'll make it run. So Membler's idea was is micro SD card spot on the board kind of like you have with your EverDrive, but it literally just reads it into a program on the NES that plays the file off of the SD card. Wow, that's that's interesting. <laughs> I was like, you can make that shit happen. Like, I'm like, it's not going to go with this Kickstarter because it's, it's going to take time, but I'm like, like if you make it happen, we'll freaking we'll publicize it, try to get it out there. Like... <laughs> Because that was uh, Derek Andrews, who um, Gradual Games. He's done Legends of Alia and uh, Anomalous for the listeners. Um, it was his idea. He's like, oh, I know people can do it. And I contacted one guy who said, oh, yeah, I could do it. I think it was um, Paul from Infinite Life. He's like, we could do it, but it would be really expensive. He was giving me numbers. Whereas Memblers is the passion project guy where he's like, I'm just going to do it because I fucking love to tinker with hardware. He does love to tinker. That is true. Oh my god, he does. I mean, he's the guy who made Garage Cart. Like, <laughs> he's and and he roomed with us in Midwest this year too. He's party or too. <laughs> is he really? Oh my god, ask Kyle. Every time I try to talk to him, he I, I always thought he was kind of quiet. He he is. He's very quiet, but he likes to party. All right, I could see that. He yeah, look, he looks like he could headbang at a metal concert if he needed to. Oh, absolutely. And he's just like a, yeah, he's definitely a more laid back family style guy, but then like get him out in conventions and he's really cool, dude. 
Like that's the thing too, is that everybody in the community is generally pretty cool. You know, you got your little groups, your little people that, you know, pigeonhole themselves, but they're still making cool stuff. Yeah, man. Even the people that don't like me still talk to me. <laughs> you gotta love that. The two facers. <laughs> oh no, no, I'm not talking about the two facers. I'm talking about the guys that I legitimately know don't like me. <laughs> but if I see them in person, they'll they'll still talk to me. Oh, oh yeah. Are, so many people are like that, yeah. Well, you had the whole community that uh, there was a group that were angry that I took, you know, Black Box Challenge to Kickstarter because I was really one of the one of the first ones. There was a few before me, I think, but I was one of the first ones to take the the a Nintendo Age game to Kickstarter. And then when Nintendo Age dried up when it came to like, you know, selling all the limited editions, now those same people took games to Kickstarter. <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's like it's a new market. It's a new market. And I was doing it just to do a cool thing and you know, Rob doing Black Box Challenge was his brainchild. I just wanted somebody to release an already created game with my book release. Um, the fact that he's making something badass is just awesome. And yeah, what's going on with that, man? I, I don't. So, what am I, I going to get my game? What's going on? Rob's been uh, t- well, he had his next child, which came early, so that put. Oh, uh, okay, in, okay. How, how, however, he um is back on it and i think he's done 100 percent. like as of like two weeks ago three weeks ago he said hey i'm done i'm finishing up i'll get it to you this week and then he started he found a couple bugs and now he started adding a couple features but he's literally testing and he's done i was gonna say didn't didn't he keep like letting you know that he was adding more stuff like hey uh i was almost done but i'm gonna add something else yeah yeah, he did a few of those, um, but now he is he has everything done. He he was working on the ending, I think, a few weeks back. But now it's like he's he's been posting updates on Facebook, and I think he said he added a couple of like logical text aspects, like if a guy's giving you a challenge, it'll put that guy's challenge score on the the mini games under it, so you know what challenge score to hit. That's like the world record type thing. Um, it's, it's, he added a lot of like just cool stuff. And all the bugs are pretty much out of it. But the thing was, is that um, John White mentioned Assimilate. He had a meetup. He called it um, SlobberCon because of uh, Jobber <laughs> on Nintendo Age. Slobber. Slobber. <laughs> but, um, but basically, he took it over there and let people play it. And he, they found another bug. So he's like, thank God I brought it. <laughs> so it should be done soon. I'm debating whether I'm going to actually hermetically seal them or not because I have a you know a whole way to seal everything. I'm already going to add a bonus. Um, I'm going to add a box protector for each game just because it's taken so damn long. I, I do like it when it comes to the box protector because I know that uh, I don't know how you're shipping it, but anytime I box. see a box protector, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm waiting on the wooden box guy. In two weeks, he should be sending me all the VGBS and black box challenge with boxes. The thing is, all the pictures, like, the dude's going to lacquer and stain them. Like, they're going to look fucking awesome, the wooden boxes. Like, I've not seen one yet because he hasn't done them for me. Every demo he sent me has been, like, the raw, just laser etched. But he's going to get those to me. Madamon, which is Larry, who's been chatting with us the last um, recording, he's almost done doing the Best of Homebrew box art for that one. 
So like all the projects are going to hit all at the same time. And I'm probably going to be shipping shit out for like straight. <laughs> fucking madness. Perfect storm. The one mistake I made with uh, the whole black box challenge thing was I uh, volunteered to assemble everything. That was a terrible idea. Horrible idea. Horrible fucking idea. So at least Paul from FNAS is going to burn all the games to the boards. So initially, I was going to do that myself, too. Oh, wow. Um, oh, dear Lord, dude. No way, yeah. man. No way. I already have all the carts, so I have to assemble all the games, fix all the labels, because I have all the labels here already. Um, have all the manuals here. Um, have all the boxes. I have to assemble all the boxes, put all the manuals inside, put all the <laughs> the styrofoams. Like, Jesus. It's cool, though. I Obviously, think about this. this is, these are the things that I have to, like, remind myself about. Uh, for me, it's the expo. For you, it's putting these things together. So, like, we're sitting here, and we're like, oh, my gosh, it's all that work that I have to do to create a brand-new Nintendo game. Like, yep. think about that, man. Like... Sometimes I think that the expo is work and I'm like, oh God, I got to go work on the expo. Yeah. And, then, and then I had to remind myself like, dude, if little kid me saw older me and was like, wait a minute, what are, what are we doing? Like we're making our own like video game convention where in your case, <laughs> it would be like, wait a minute, you're upset because you're making your own Nintendo game. Like older you chill the fuck out, dude. This is awesome. Own it enjoy it yeah exactly and i think this is the first turn-based rpg because swords and ruins had a weird a different interface for swords swords and ruins was like kind of final fantasy kind of but it had like a weird combo system for commands but it was fun and then you have um quest forge which is more like a combination of ease and final fantasy because hmm. you kind of run into guys, but then there's hit points on the screen. And you know what? Addictive as fuck, too. It's awesome. For Swords and Ruins, I always try to tell myself to not think of it like another game and to try and let it stand on its own. Does that make sense? I actually try to do that all the games. It's but, tough. Um, but the problem was, is I was like a beta tester with Bo in person. With um, Duispy and Wiz, which Wiz is Tofu Drifter on Nintendo Age, which he never participates. But um, but we were like in person. And I was going at it as a casual gamer perspective when I was testing. I'm like, so I'm saying Joe Schmo, who's rekindling the NES, isn't going to get this. No, yeah. It, it, it <laughs> and that pissed Bo off. That pissed Bo off because he didn't like it. And it pissed User off, who's the programmer. Um, they didn't like that. They're like, well, you're not you know, looking at it as its, uh, its own game. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm looking at it as like a typical gamer more so. And, and I'm like, I personally love the thing. I get it. But Kyle may not. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, just picking it up. I'm- no, I mean, I said the same thing. And I agree with you, which is... And that's odd to think about. I mean, you have a choice well, now. Well, in- Am I going to make a game that somebody from that time can pick up and immediate relate relate to, or am I trying to create something new for an old system? Well, and and there is that too, is that they did create something unique. And I mean, Kyle saw it, but 
Bo was um, demoing it in Midwest Gaming Classic this year with some of his other games. And he had to literally explain a dissertation on how to play Swords and Runes each time somebody picked it up. And it's kind of the same way with Arm for Battle because it's strategy. Oh, dude, Arm for Battle is really complicated. Good luck just picking that up and starting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that game as well. But they're all fun in their own merit. But like when I was beta testing, I'm like, well, I don't have time to dig into the code. So I'm going to do it from a reviewer writer perspective where I'm going to say, here's the enjoyment aspect. And it was a different take. Probably where I chime in too, then is just like, Hey, look, man, I don't know what's going on, but I'm playing it for the first time. And here's what I saw. Yeah. I actually think the best example is Spookatron. Every single person that came in there, they're, they're like, what's, what's wrong with this? And apparently it starts off in demo mode, but, you have to magically intuitively know that to press a certain button and turn it into non-demo mode. <laughs> so it's just stuff like that. It's like totally non-intuitive. To Bo's defense for Spookatron, that was a demo cartridge. So it's probably not. We can hope, Kyle, that that's not going to be in the final release. The, the key is, if I, if I was Bo watching that, that would be a red flag to me. It was a red flag and I'm not even making the game. It was like, okay, there's been like four or five people that have been like, why aren't the enemies moving? Because uh-huh. it's in like a demo state, and then you have to make the enemies move. Yeah, and it, I guess at that point, you got to determine who your audience is. Are you trying to make it for the general public? Or for you. Yeah, yeah do you want something that anybody can pick up and they're immediately going to understand and be able to play it? Or are you trying to create something for somebody like me where it's like, oh, you made a new game, and I'm really going to dig into this because I want to see what you came up with? Because looking on the other aspect, like VGBS Season 1, I mean... Somebody just picking up and go, what the fuck is this? Just text. Just <laughs> yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, watching at those conventions, man, you can see because someone, a kid was uh, playing Halloween 86 and he uh-huh. couldn't even get past the first screen. So wow. there's a wall on the right side and you have to kick through the wall. But he's just looking all around the room, like figuring, okay, uh, Haunted Halloween 85 started more like a Mario where you're going. But Halloween 86 started like with the puzzle at the very beginning and this kid's sitting there and I'm watching him and he can't even figure it out and the eventually we're like dude you got to hit the the wall on the right side that's, <laughs> that's the whole thing it, that's like Super Mario Brothers is like the perfect prototypical thing to look at and say okay have a game that anyone can play anyone who starts it up they understand it and they understand how it's probably supposed to work and any yeah. any game that actually goes beyond that and gets too esoteric, you know, and too complicated, that's going to shrink up the base that actually understands how to play it. And that's just a fact. Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, it just depends. Like, is that who you're targeting? Do you want those of us that are going to wade through it? Or do you just want anybody (laughs) to be able to pick it up and play it? And that's what I would want the latter. Yeah. Now the other aspect to look even deeper is that not everyone is Da Vinci either. No, we always say, yeah, there's artists and then there's like, yeah. So, like, us normal folks say that that um, user couldn't, maybe he, that he hit his limit and that's, that's his vision. He didn't, you know, couldn't go to that aspect to quote unquote make it playable for everyone. Or, oh, no, 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 dude, that game was for him because I know I was, I was a beta, yeah, I was a beta tester too. And I know there were suggestions that were made. 
And he was like, no. And I don't mean that in like a bad way or a good way. Cause so, I like, I like swords and ruins. I just know that there were things that we said, well, why have you thought about doing this? And he was like, yeah, I have thought about doing that. And that's not what I want to do. So that's his limit. He hit his limit. Is he, wanted to he, do it. he couldn't look outside the scope of his own internal like needs. And then the other aspect was like, financially, there's certain people that don't want to, like the guys, um, like Beer Slinger that we always rag on since season one of the podcast, where I contacted Retroscribe and said, hey, why don't you add a score to this and make it loop infinitely? Then it's an actual game instead of just me playing it the very first time all seven days, not making a mistake, and the game's over. Yeah, because he was happy with what it was. He, he just wanted a gimmick. And like, let's do something even more. That's the thing. That's his limitation. Like, he was just happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's also the the other thing, like looking from the outside in that we have to mention, too, because an armchair quarterbacking, we, we could sound like fucking dickheads, you know, but really, when you do look from the outside in, if you can possess that on your own projects, man, yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I, just, just, be, just because we're not bashing. Yeah, no, no we're no. giving we're giving our viewpoint. And positive, you know, criticism trying. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trying, trying to get positive criticism. It's uh, up to them whether or not they take it. But the yeah. fact, it, but once you start having a lot of people say the same thing, like if you're still ignoring them, like, okay, that's on you. Yeah, then it becomes, it's an issue and you haven't dealt with it. Yeah. Or, or, or you, I, I you, are you straight up, you are acknowledging it and it's like, no, that's, I, I see what you guys are saying, but that is not what I want to do and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, then there's that. Yeah, there's that aspect. And, you know, there's certain people, too, that just don't want to accept that there's a different way of doing something, which is fine. Well, yeah, it's it's like having your own band, you know. Someone else is like, you know, I think this riff should be played this way. And, you know, some people get butthurt. Like, well, th- I came up with this, you know. I mean, that's the thing. You get butthurt at first, but then you realize, well, that's actually a better idea to, like, coagulate our both of our ideas together so that's the thing man it depends on the kind of person that if you're open to that or not you know yep so let's let you um plug all your stuff talk about um give us the the lowdown on your your convention i know there's some cool shit going on with some uh, goofy foot tournaments and stuff that i saw recently let's play gaming expo (laughs) happening august 5th and 6th in uh dallas texas it will be at the irving convention center at las colinas um yeah we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff this year it will be the first time the nintendo playstation has ever been to texas yeah but not only will it be here we will be playing it um and fingers fingers crossed that if terry sees what we want to do and will allow it we're going to try and run a tournament on it but uh (laughs) the the concern is overheating it on you know both us and terry don't want anything to happen to it so we're going to let him bring it down here we're going to look at what we were thinking and then fingers crossed we'll be running a tournament we got warren davis the creator, Qbert, he's going to be here. Oh, fucking awesome. We're going to be doing a Qbert tournament uh, as part of the Play the Creator series that we started last year with... Um, with Lonnie Fluin for, for Joust, right? With Joust, yeah. We had John Newcomer, the creator of Joust last year, where we did a tournament, and the winner got to play John Newcomer on his well, yeah. creation. 
it's so, Lonnie came out who yes, rolls over every fucking arcade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Lonnie's coming back out. He is still on his mission to roll every joust machine. And so he, we have two more lined up for him. He's going to roll two machines while he's here. Um, nice. And then, yeah, yeah. Then the creator Cuber, Warren Davis doing the same thing with him. We're going to have a tournament, a high score tournament on Cuber. And then the winner will play Warren on Cuber. So awesome. play the play the creator, and then, I don't know, man. We got so many other things. Yeah, the Goofy Foot creator. I was one of the backers. Of the Goofy Foot. I talked to him a lot. Tried to help him out getting his Kickstarter funded. Yeah. So he, he sent me a prototype, and yeah, he, he gave me one at Portland last year. Yeah, and so it it started with just kind of like his whole thing is Tetris, but I was telling him like, dude, you're mm-hmm. missing out on like this whole other thing, which is, I think it would be really fun to run tournaments using the controller because it's going to be things with, that people think random can, games. Yeah. People think that they'll, they'll be good at it. And then you're not because the controller's backwards. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to, we're going to do a goofy foot tournament. We've picked out a game, but we haven't told anybody. But yeah, and then uh, he's actually flying out here. He was super excited about it, so he's coming out with a couple extra controllers, and we're nice. gonna have a, we're gonna have a couple setups. Uh, so hey, other projects is the Mother of the Earth documentary. We're filming it right now, almost done. We're actually we we were pretty close to being finished when one of the guys randomly reached out to the composer over in Japan. Yeah, and I was gonna be in China after the convention and so i said well guys i'm gonna be over there already um does he want to do an interview so we now have an interview scheduled with the composer for earthbound and oh, yeah that is happening august 21st uh, yeah i'll i'm going to japan to interview somebody who worked on a nintendo game like that is that's, that's life right there man dude so it's so so random yeah so oh, random man. That's awesome though, that you're able to, to get over there and do that because you're going to happen to be out there. That's badass, though. Well, it, it started off as that, but the other guys, do, everybody's flying themselves out there now because we didn't budget for it. That was not part of the Kickstarter. This was just like the director, Josh, the young kid from the project, the, the one who did most of the research and stuff. He was just kind of talking with him and then mentioned to me that he was talking with him, like just doing research. And I said, well, Hey dude, I'm actually going to be over in Asia. And so that was what started it. And then, you know, uh, Evan and Josh, they're giant earthbound fans. And it was like, well, we can have the guy who doesn't like earthbound go over there and do the interview. Or we can go with them. And so they're actually paying out of pocket to fly over there and uh, be a part of the interview. Fuck, man. That's rad, though. I mean, you're going to be a part of history at that point, which is excellent. Dude, if I could... The things that I have on film that nobody knows about right now, I can't wait for us to start editing so we can start leaking some of this stuff. Dude, I know answers to questions that people have been wondering. Not even about Earthbound. This is like just... Nintendo mysteries that people like there's an entire, have to make a whole second DVD. Dude, I'm serious. There's an entire website dedicated to a question that I found out the answer to in one of the interviews we did early on. And I have been sitting on it for a year now. <laughs> oh my God. I can't, dude, it's, I'm excited. It's going to be a cool documentary. We got a lot of good info, man. Like the stuff that we're getting in those interviews is just, it's, it's crazy. Well, talking with Darren, who's editing bits of yesterday right now, 
Uh, the hardest part you're going to have to do is cut it down to a, a viewable amount. I think but, he had more interviews than I did, honestly. He talked maybe. to a lot of people. And he, uh, dude, and he had a ton of good questions, too. When that guy came and stopped on my place, I was not ready at all. <laughs> well, the thing is, too, is that you can – and I told this to Darren, like, save it all and make a director's cut or bonus material for your DVD or a second DVD or – you know, like do it later. Yeah, that's good. For for those of you that don't know, uh, bits of yesterday. I don't know who all he talked with, but the questions that he asked for I'm that I'm documentary watching. were really good. I mean, he was asking me questions about stuff, dude. I hadn't thought about my rental game store from when I was a kid. He asked me about, dude. I hadn't thought about that place. In years, man. When he asked me that question, I was just like, I was blown away, dude. I was not ready for that shit. It was great. What, oh, God, I had so much fun hanging out with him. He, he got me at um, Retroware TV one in Connecticut that's ran by Lance. Yeah. Um, he got me over there, and like basically he asked me stuff that we recently talked about on PGBS um, a little bit, but I went more in depth for him. It was really freaking badass. And guy's super cool too. Darren's awesome. Yeah, he's real nice. But the thing is, is that like, and I actually had a talk with James, Angry Video Game Nerd, and Jason Lapine, who owns uh, Gaming Enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Just they just bought Destructoid, I think. Um, but we were talking like we're in a weird era where we're all creating this new type of history. Well, you know, you have the increase of the YouTube aspect, but also the crowdfunding where people are able to do projects that wouldn't normally be able to get funded by a traditional bank. So we're able to make these passion projects happen. And we're all able to do these highly quality projects in an era where, you know, we're going to be able to ground pound market it. And it's going to be unique when people look back on what we're doing right now. Yeah, man, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of like the early days of the homebrew because, I mean, I didn't think that I would be in that circle, but I guess with the Mother to Earth documentary that you could put me in there too is, yeah, man, we're all we're all on the, on the frontier because it's bigger. I mean, I'm not – I don't want to downplay the guys that are doing stuff on YouTube because there's definitely a lot of like nope. – you know, YouTube channels that are just dedicated to maybe, you know, a smaller piece of history or getting something out there. But that was a, that was part one of our talk today is has you have YouTubers ruined retro gaming? Because that was a, a topic that a lot of YouTubers have been talking about this week. Well, I don't know, man, because if you no. do it, if you discuss it the way we're discussing it, it would be my documentary wouldn't be happening if the two kids involved hadn't have been doing little YouTube videos, exactly. discuss, discussing the history exactly. of earthbound. And then one day realizing, you know what, we've got a lot of info and this would probably make a really good movie. You know, like you have to transition at some point. Exactly. Everything fucking counts, man. I'm telling you every yeah. little thing, every little thing. Hey, look, I, I love Rob. Rob, you're great. But he didn't break the Mega Man 2 box art. You know what I'm talking about? Rob. Yeah, Rob McCone. What, what movie did he do where he talked with Mark Erickson about the Mega Man 2 box art? Oh, the uh, Nintendo 
Quest? Uh, yeah, I think he I think he talks to him in Nintendo Quest. So my point about that is is Rob, who is another documentary filmmaker, for those of you who may not know, he did um Nintendo Quest, and now he's working on the box art documentary. Well, he talked with Mark Erickson, the illustrator for Mega, Mega Man, Man 2's 2. box art. And he said, so I told him that he should talk to Mark for the box art thing. He was like, oh, we already talked to him for so-and-so. That was where we, and this is me kind of remembering. That was where he said that they um, did the, the story about the box art and why Mega Man 2 was different from the game. And all I was thinking was like, no, no, no. I broke that story with a crappy little Vimeo video when I interviewed Mark Erickson <laughs> back in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Now, nobody knows that because it's a crappy little Vimeo video. But I remember I had to convince Mark to do that on camera. Mark did not want to talk about that stuff. He, <laughs> Mark, was, Mark was worried that he was going to be ostracized for admitting that he was the one who messed up Mega Man. Because that was how he viewed it at first. I, dude, he he was he had this whole he was so concerned that people were going to flame him for not getting it right. And I told him, no, dude, you gotta get on camera because nobody understands why it's wrong. And I think that you should be on the record explaining. Yeah. So my point is Mark didn't feel comfortable talking about that shit until he did my crappy Vimeo video that led to him doing a documentary with Rob. So you can't discount YouTube videos because I've seen it happen firsthand where it started out small, but then got to a a larger medium, if you will. Absolutely. And yeah, that's the crazy aspect is that, you know, without, this whole community, the convention scene wouldn't be as big as it is either. And, you know, I talked to Mark at Portland and he little known fact is, is he agreed to do my Genesis book cover. (laughs) So that should be fucking ridiculous. That's awesome, dude. And Mark's really, really nice too. What a, what a great guy, him and his wife. I love his wife too. They're so nice. Prior prior service army too. I got some stories with Mark. Interesting. <laughs> um, and so the thing is, though, is that without all of that, like some of these people that were involved in the scene wouldn't have come out of the woodwork to be involved with the conventions. I mean, you wouldn't be getting the creator of Kubert to come to Let's Play this year because there wouldn't be a scene. There wouldn't be a, a, enough people to come make these conventions a huge hit. Like everything compounds on everything. I think it all feeds into it but the thing that we talked about in the last episode which will be the episode before this um on the the podcast was that literally it all depends on the outlook on what the person quote unquote collecting because it, it goes back to collecting is why people are mad because it's making the game prices go up it's all dependent on what they're doing because if they want to collect it for monetary value or trying to get a good deal, they're going to be mad. But if you're just doing it for the passion, which everybody who creates content is, then it's a different world. Yeah, if I'm just a guy who's got a power pack in every ROM, I don't care. I yeah, I'll at that point I I'm interested. Like, yeah, I want to hear what you want to have to say. Because it's not influencing what I'm trying to do in one way or another, you know? Like all I'm doing is picking up more information about something. But no, once you start including money, 
and you're making it harder for me to get stuff that I want because every time you talk about it, it goes up in price. Like those are the people <laughs> that seem the most butthurt about it. Oh yeah. And it's literally just people getting butthurt about things that they really can't control. And that would literally happen regardless of people making a YouTube video about little Samson or something like yeah. it's not their fault. But yeah, we can uh, wrap things up here. Um, yeah, dude, I was drinking beer. I got to go to the bathroom so bad. <laughs> it's going to explode. Yeah, man. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Christian. And yeah, so much. Thank you so much for helping support. Uh, you know, I like what you do. Of course, I'm going to support <laughs> you. Keep creating content, Jeff. Have fun with what you're working on, dude. What else can you do? You too, man. Hopefully, you're going to be moving to a new venue each year for your last play because it keeps on getting too fucking big like it was last year. Yeah, man. We'll <laughs> see what happens this year. We did move to a new venue, so I hope we can fill it. We're just using the first floor this year, but the venue we're in has got three floors, so we'll see what happens. It's only going to get bigger each year. That's the thing. I hope so. Word of mouth, man. Will you take it easy, Christian? Thanks for coming on. We'll definitely be still chatting online. All right, man. Good times, you guys. All right, bro. Later. Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, shoot us a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Plus. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right. See you later. Woo. Later.